Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Joe Rico, and this is the Fantasy MLB Today podcast brought to you by Sports Ethos. Today, we are going to be going through some draft strategies to make sure you don't get burned in your fantasy drafts for this upcoming, hopefully upcoming MLB season. So there are a few general strategies that I like to use every year. Some vary depending on position by year, depending on um, how deep a, a particular position is in a given year. Typically, it's the corner infield spots that vary in terms of their depth. But my strategies are going to be pretty solid for you year in, year out. They're not just meant for right now with what's going on. They're meant for every season. And they're honestly just solid little tips that are going to help you <clears throat> to avoid getting burned in your drafts. The first tip is just to not take risks early on. You want to be very safe in your early draft picks. You want to pick people who don't have histories of getting injured, people who you look back over their last three, four, or five seasons, and they are consistently producing in the categories that you need them to every single year. Um, you don't want to be taking players who are coming off of massive injuries. So someone I'm going to be trying to avoid this year is Ronald Acuna. As great as he'll probably be after a big injury, he's going to be still probably going in the first round, maybe the second round. But it's not something I want to chance my entire team on, Is despite his five-tool fantasy skill set. If he goes down, that's it's really hard to recover from losing your first or second round pick. Like you can't necessarily win your draft in the first two or three rounds, but you can certainly lose it. So you want to be really safe early on. You also want to make sure that the players are going to have a continued role going forward. So they might've had a great year last year, but they may be in a different position this year. They may be on a different team this year, different coaching number of different reasons why they may have a different setup than they had last year that might be detrimental to them or it might help them. But you want to be looking to avoid certain players who the situation has completely changed. One, for example, is Marcus Simeon. So he was in the middle of a stacked Blue Jays lineup, closer to the top, but he had a lot of RBI chances, a lot of runs came in. And granted, he did hit a ton of home runs. And that's something that could sustain. But when you're looking at the runs and the RBIs, those may not necessarily be there despite the talent that you have in the Rangers lineup. You're probably not going to see that same level of RBI and runs, which last year he was putting up combined around, it was around 200. Uh, I would expect a serious drop off. Maybe not a serious drop off, but I would expect a substantial enough drop off in Semien's production that I wouldn't be taking him where he's going, which is in the first few rounds of drafts here, especially at he's 31, 31. I wouldn't be jumping for players who have turned the corner of 30 if I'm going to be in those first few rounds. My ideal pick is someone who has sustained it over the last few years, who is between the ages of 24 and 28, and particularly if they have one dominating skill set. So if they're a player for a Trey Turner, for example, who is probably my favorite fantasy player, he has specific skill sets that are going to help you win. So his, his base stealing and his home runs, specifically his base stealing, is elite. 
that he can win you the category on a week-to-week basis. So targeting somebody like that early on in your draft is essential to having that category locked down, or at least somewhat locked down. You might face someone who is very competitive and steals one week and might not do as well. But if you have a guy who's like Turner who's able to steal, he has the potential to steal 50 bags. Now, he's probably not going to take 50, but anywhere between 30 to 45 is completely reasonable for him. And he may even get to 50. He's arguably the fastest player in the majors, and his entire skill set is just a, it is a perfect first-round pick, Trey Turner. If you're able to get him in your first round, it is it is a perfect pick because of what he gives you an average in home runs and steals. A player like that early in your draft is great to target. Uh, a Bo Bichette would also be someone I'd really be looking at. Another middle infielder, but a similar skill set to Trey Turner, a couple of years younger, but a very similar situation for Bo. He's also in a very high-powered lineup, so he, he is going to get runs. He's going to be likely the two hitter behind Springer and there may be times when he's going down to four leading off but he will have all five categories covered for you week to week he will contribute in every category he batted 298 last year I believe he has the ability to drive in more than 100 runs he'll most certainly eclipse 30 home runs this year and a 30-30 season is fairly likely for Bo every year he's going to get just a little bit better. And last year he was, I think it was 27 home runs, 118 RBIs, something something like that, and 25 steals from, from what I remember. So a player like that in your first round is never going to hurt you. There are, there are first-round picks that will hurt you. Inevitably, they will hurt you. A DeGrom, even if he is great, even if DeGrom goes out there doesn't get hurt, and he's able to produce, give you 25, 30 starts. I don't know that I would spend a first-round pick on him. I, I don't know that that would be worthwhile. And he is dropping a little bit in drafts. If end of the first, beginning of the second round is where he's typically going. But he's someone I'm going to try and avoid, as great as he is. Just because with pitchers, you want to be careful regardless, drafting them early on. Because you're using an extremely high draft capital slot on a pitcher. It's just something that comes with a lot of risk. And I would be really careful about using picks. Your first two picks on a pitcher, I would be very careful about. Maybe you could use one of them on a pitcher, preferably in the second round. But for me, when you're starting out your team, you want to have that power-speed combination, ideally, like a Turner, like a Bichette, like a Tatis. Or you want to go for batting average slash power. There are a couple of combinations early on that you find in a lot of players. So you'll find in your Jose Ramirez is your your power speed average, your Turners, your Vladimir Guerrero's minus the speed. So players like that are very safe to me to pick early on without much injury history and who can contribute to you in all five categories on the hitting side. Those would be who I would look at. So my, my specific first-round targets are Turner, Bichette, Guerrero, Tatis, and to a lesser extent, Mike Trout. If you're able to get Mike Trout, if you have a pick that 
on the turn and you know you're going to be close to 20 picks or so without taking a player and you see Trout sitting there at the end of your first round, I might I might take the chance on him because Trout is someone who, despite being injured last year, does not have an injury history in his career. He has been fairly healthy throughout his career. And as we know, he is one of the best players to ever play baseball. So if you're able to get him, you know, late in the first round, early in the second round, which you should be able to get, he is he is typically available there. I would not hesitate. I would take him. I would take Mike Trout because it's very unlikely he's going to get hurt again. Maybe he does get hurt again. It's just not something that I am expecting to happen. I think that he will be absolutely good to go. And, you know, he's not going to have that same kind of speed. <clears throat> he's probably not. He's being taken, on average, around pick eight in the first round. Around eight. <clears throat> but he is dropping as low as 13 in some instances. So he's going to be available around that turn. So, I mean, if you can get Mike Trout as your second-round pick, and at the end of the first round you take, say... A Ramirez, or if they fall to you, perhaps a Bo Bichette or a Mookie Betts, you can really build a solid early couple of rounds just based on people underestimating players for for reasons that were a little beyond their control. So Mookie did have a bit of a down year, but there's there's still that adjustment period, right? He had the shortened season in Los Angeles. And then he had last year was his first full season, and it was not what you'd, what you'd want out of Mookie, especially a lot of people took him early first round. Now you get him a little bit discounted this year. So you get him closer to the beginning of the second round because of that one-off year. We're talking about a guy with multiple World Series and an MVP already in his mid-20s. And he's going to fall to you because he was a little down last year. And that's a situation where I'm not really buying the numbers from last year for Mookie. Mookie throughout his career, has been a power speed average guy. And he's batting in the best lineup in baseball. So his stats of last year, as concerning as they might have been, if you drafted him in the first round, you probably were not too happy with that. I mean, 23 homers, 58 RBIs. Steel numbers were down, only 10 steals. And he's typically someone giving you 15, 20, 25 steals a year. I don't see him having another down year like this. I mean, he's batting top two or three in that lineup. He's going to be surrounded by Trey Turner and Muncie and Justin Turner. And who knows, maybe Freddie Freeman, depending on how things play out. So I would not be concerned about a Mookie Betts. I know I'm kind of rambling here. I'm just going through general thoughts. Uh, about early round picks. So just to recap really quickly, you want to aim for someone who has versatility in those first couple rounds in terms of they can give you power, they can give you speed, they give you batting average. They're not just, say, a one-two category person. You want to try and maximize your categories in those early rounds. You want to try and have someone who can hit for power, hit for average, steal, so, again, the targets early on, Turner, Tatis, Guerrero, Bobichet, Jose Ramirez. As we go down a little bit, 
Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. Wherever he lands, I feel pretty comfortable that Freddie Freeman will be successful because he's just always been successful and he is a strong left-handed bat. He's going to be given the opportunity to succeed. And whether he's on Atlanta or Los Angeles or Toronto or wherever he ends up, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, you could pretty much set your clock to it. Let's move away from the hitters for a minute. Let's talk about pitching a little bit. Now, I'd mentioned earlier that I want to try and stay clear if I can in the early rounds from pitching, specifically mostly just the first round. I feel like you should set the fundamentals, or not the fundamentals, you should set the foundation of your team on a batter because they're going to be someone you can put in the lineup every single day. They're going to play five times as more than any pitcher you're going to play, at least four or five times as more. So it's just a matter of quantity more so than quality. I think it will be a quality thing too, depending on who you pick. But if you're taking 150 games of production versus 30 or 35 in your first round pick, I'm probably for that reason alone, just going to go with one of these elite, elite bats because there is a bit of a drop off after the first couple rounds. There's still great bats out there, but you, you want to be careful with pitching. So there are a couple of targets that I have in the second round ish area might go in the first round. Corbin Burns, all the advanced stats say that last year was not a fluke that he will be successful. If not more successful than he was last year, I'm, I'm totally happy to take a second round pick on Corbin Burns. He is, he's so, so powerful. The strikeouts alone are worth the pick. He struck out 234 batters, and he threw 167 innings. So massive, massive strikeout numbers. His whip was 0.94. ERA was 2.43. And I don't have the advanced stats in front of me. But he has, aside from the 2019 season, never had a bad year. In 2019, it was, it was really bad. But he wasn't starting. He was coming out of the pen more so. So that's, I don't want to even look at 2019 when I'm really thinking about Corbin. I'm thinking about the last two years with the ERA of 211 and 243. The advanced numbers to back it up to say he will do this again. He is capable of doing this again. No problem taking Corbin in the second round. Walker Bueller, don't have much of a problem taking him in the second round. If he slips to the third round, you can get him in the third round. That would be fantastic. But another guy with a really low whip, ERA, high strikeout ratio, his team is going to get wins. There's almost no chance that Walker ends up with less than 12 or so wins. At absolute lowest. He had 16 last year. Figure 12 to 15 is fairly reasonable expectation. Um, DeGrom is going roughly around 23 in drafts. So he's going end of the second round area. I'm probably not taking him into the second round. I'm probably in that same range. You can go for a Shane Bieber, a Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff. There's just a lot less risk associated with those guys. And granted, there's not the upside of DeGrom. DeGrom is ridiculous, right? He was, he missed the last four months of the season last year. Was it four months or so? And he still... It took him so long in the rankings last year to drop down because he was just so far ahead of everybody else. The whip was 0.55, ERA was 1.08. They're just they're, he was a video game player last year. 
and he is someone who is, other than Kershaw, you could argue the best pitcher of his generation. So he's obviously talented enough to be worth a pick. It's just a matter of the injuries and if he will be shut down this year. Very scary Mets team, potentially, this year. DeGrom and Scherzer and Sterling Marte, Alonzo. They have... They are a scary franchise. They're not a scary franchise. They are a scary team this year. They are a sad franchise. But this year, they they can do some good things if they keep DeGrom healthy and the old man Scherzer healthy. That will be another thing. Scherzer going around a little higher than... Then Degrom still in the middle of the second round, roughly pick sixteen. I don't really have a problem with taking Scherzer in the second. If you can get him in the in the third, that'd be great. But until he shows us he can't do it anymore, I think we have to just assume that he can. As strange as that may sound, he may be due for a drop off coming soon. But from everything we've seen. Uh, I don't. It's hard to expect that he's gonna. You can't forecast that he, this is the year where he's gonna fall off. When he was traded to the Dodgers, he finished out the regular season. He was brilliant. He almost won the Cy Young because of how brilliant he was on the Dodgers. Now there was a start or two near the end, if memory serves, that kind of ballooned the ERA a little bit, and essentially cost him that that Cy Young. He is still a top five pitcher in baseball until he proves otherwise. And he is safe, right? What I was talking about earlier is you want someone with a track record of between three and five years. They can consistently do this. And granted, Scherzer is not in that same category of being in his mid-20s and he's been doing this, so let's keep drafting him. But he is someone who has been consistent for what are we talking now? 10 years, at least 10 years. So if you're going to take Scherzer as your, to be your ace, uh, I, I don't really have much of a problem with that. Uh, if we go down a little bit into the third round here, now Shohei Otani is interesting because depending on format, now on ESPN, he is a pitcher and a hitter in one player. Um, the way that Yahoo divides it is he is actually two separate players. So there is one Otani batter and there is Otani pitcher. The batter is going roughly in the first round. He's going around pick 10. The pitcher is going around pick 37. So if you're playing on Yahoo, you have to really factor in the chance that he just doesn't pitch as much this year. He pitched a lot last year and he is someone who has had surgeries in the past and who they will be careful with the angels are not going to be reckless i think they know and everybody else knows that they're probably not going to be successful this year it's just kind of it's kind of just who they are at this point unless they really make some splashes throughout the year unless there's I, I can't really see a situation where they're going to be one of those top two or three, four or five teams competing for a World Series or for even deep playoff contention. So I don't see them year in, year out wearing down Otani, pitching 30 games, 20 games, whatever he is, and playing every single day leading off. And then getting in the outfield some days. I think they're going to try and be very careful with him. I think they realize, I hope they realize what they have in him. 
and how rare it is. And I don't think they're gonna they're gonna blow that just for an 85, 90 win season and miss the postseason. I don't I don't think they're gonna do that. Now they very well could do that, and you'd be lucky as a fantasy manager, particularly on ESPN, if they just run him, run him, run him. He's pitching all the time. He's hitting. As long as he doesn't get hurt, then you'd be. If you're in an ESPN points league that you draft Otani, then you you're pretty pretty well off as long as the Angels don't shut him down. ESPN, you have to, sorry Yahoo, you have to make the decision unless you want to draft him as a pitcher and a batter. What do you see more value in? For me, I see more value in him as a batter. The pitching last year, I had him as a pitcher in the, in the league last year, and there would be times where it's 11 days between starts, but usually eight between 8 and 11 days between starts. So you're sitting there and maybe a whole week where he literally gives you nothing. He's putting up zeros. And as great as he was when he pitched, it's really hard to sit there and take zeros for your pitchers. Your pitchers, you need to be very careful about. You can have a batter or two that's kind of a, a stash, if you will, that you're hoping on things. They're not really producing, but you can take the zeros of the low production. With your pitchers, I'm a little more cautious in that regard because if a pitcher's not if a batter's not doing well, then they're giving you zeros. If a pitcher's not doing well, then they're actually like actively hurting your ERA and your whip. And I know that if you're going over four, you're hurting your batting average for your team. Okay. But if a pitcher goes out there and gets completely rocked or what have you, you're not going to recover from that as easily as you will from a guy going over four. So if you take Otani as a batter, it's probably not going to hurt you. I, I don't see them sitting him as often as a batter as I, as I do see it happening as a pitcher. He's going to still play in most of the games. Even if he's a DH, you might have to put him in your utility slot. But he probably gets enough appearances in the outfield that he will have eligibility out there. And for me, that would be a lot more valuable than having him as a pitcher. Now, the other side of that is that you're taking him as a batter. He's going in the first round. Now, he is someone with an injury history with um, with surgery. In 2019, he played just over 100 games. Uh, the lockout year, he missed a couple of games. Last year, he played in almost every single game, and he was fantastic. But will he do it again? Will Is there room for that? And like I, like I kept saying, I like to look for trends, right? If it's just one year, it makes me a little nervous. If there's something that is sustainable then I'm a lot more willing to jump on board. And with Shohei, I'm not sure if it's sustainable. I don't think anybody knows if it's sustainable. Can he do this a second consecutive year and hit like crazy and also pitch at a Cy Young level? When it, I mean, he was a unanimous MVP, despite Guerrero having one of the best offensive seasons we've ever seen, certainly from someone his age. So he was just that good it's hard to expect him to be that good again it's 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 a bit of an outlier what he did last year and i honestly i think i would advise staying away from shohei altogether in drafts in the first round i just think there's more consistent value there not so much consistent but something that i can rely upon a little bit more if i could take 
I'd probably take Bryce Harper over Otani just because I'm not so nervous about him getting shut down potentially or him having an injury on the pitching side, which leads him to having to miss time on the hitting side. I'm a lot, I'm very skeptical about drafting Shohei this year. As great as he is, as, as fun as he is to watch, I, I would be very, very careful. Okay, a couple more things we'll go over. I would definitely recommend drafting a closer early on. So not in the first three or four rounds, but if you're getting around round five, late round four, round five, I would really consider taking a closer. So a Josh Hader, a Liam Hendricks, those guys are going around that range. And they are going to produce. They are going to be their team's closers. There is little to no doubt about that. Saves are a very hard thing to get off the waiver wire. They're like steals and blocks in basketball. Except they're honestly harder to find on the waiver wire because pretty much every closer is rostered once you get into it. Unless your league is maybe an eight-man league, you're not going to have every closer rostered. But in a 10-man, 12-man league, there are going to be no everyday closers there might be platoons where you can get a guy in and you might be lucky, but you're not going to be finding closers on the waiver wire very rarely. So I would make it a priority to draft one closer in the first five or so rounds, specifically Hader. I love Josh Hader and the, the lefty thing. It's not so common to see a left-handed closer and he is just so consistent every year every year Josh Hader does this so he hasn't given us any reason to not believe in him his ERA last year was 123 his his whip for his career is a 0.85 he just doesn't let up base runners he strikes guys out at a crazy high rate he's gonna get saves for you he's gonna probably go for 30 to 40 saves he is someone I'm targeting early on in drafts around pick 40 to 50 if you can get him in that range i wouldn't reach much higher than that although he will be valuable even if you take him a little bit higher than that but he's going in the same range as guys like trevor story otani as a pitcher is going a bit higher than josh Hader, which for me is crazy i would take josh Hader in 100 drafts out of 100 over otani to secure that saves position to that saves category it's just so hard to come across on the wire the last thing we're going to be talking about is try not to jump too much on sleepers. You want to be very safe, especially in the early rounds, about building a proper foundation to your team and not taking massive risks. Even if you see someone like a Bobby Wood Jr., a Wander Franco, um, I put Cedric Mullins in that category as well because I think there's a lot of risk associated with one-offs and prospects, players that haven't made that a career out of succeeding yet. So as, as good as Witt's going to be, we think, and as good as Franco was last year, am I going to spend a top five, six, seven round pick on him? Absolutely not. I'm going to build my team around players who give me a solid foundation, who get all the categories covered, well, like Witt and Alonzo, sorry, like Witt and Franco do, they cover a lot of the categories, but they just a lot of risk associated with them. 
So I'm going to be very cautious about using anything in the first seven or eight rounds on those guys. Like, I doubt they're going to be falling that much. But if they do happen to fall to that level, sure. If you get Wander Franco in round seven or round eight, then I don't have a problem with it then. I do have a problem with it in round four. Because I just think there's so much value on the table there still that has already proven itself. As, like, he's going to be good. He's going to be a very good player, but... Going ahead of guys like Castellanos and Paul Goldschmidt, Lance Lynn, Jose Abreu. Um, there's just a lot of, I know what I'm getting later on, as opposed to I think I know what I'm getting in those prospects, that I would much rather wait around and take Abreu than jump early and take Franco. Abreu is going to give you 100 RBIs. He's, you know what he's going to do, right? Like you can look over his career and you can you can forecast what's going to happen with him pretty reasonably. Tampa, it's a lot harder for me to make that forecast with Franco, as good as he was. Now, Franco and, and Bobby Witt are the main ones that I'm going to be fading to some extent. Not entirely, but... At, at their ADP, I am going to be fading them because I just I can't emphasize this enough as someone who's been burned in years past and drafts among all the four major sports. You draft what you know early on and you take your risks later on. You build a solid foundation before you start making your risks, before you start taking your risks. You want to have four or five at least solid foundational batters down, at least three or four, and at least two or three pitchers before you really start experimenting in your drafts. You want to have a solid foundation. I can't stress that enough. A solid foundation is what builds championship fantasy teams. If you look back at the end of the year and you look at the teams that typically win, you think, okay, early on they drafted well and they got a couple of good picks throughout their draft. But no one's winning their fantasy leagues from going off the board with their first few draft picks and hoping for miracles out of different players. You're you're winning your leagues because you're being smart about it. You're not taking DeGrom in the first round, Acuna in the second round, and Wander Franco in the third round. You're making sensible decisions that you can look back on at the end of the year, whether you're in the playoffs or not, and you can justify your decision. You can say, this decision made sense to me at the time, and looking back, it still makes sense now, and I completely stand by my choice. And that's a lot of this is about falling asleep easily at night with fantasy sports. You want to just make decisions that won't give you too much stress and that you'll be able to look on comfortably and say, I did what I was supposed to do. If it didn't work out, it was because of factors that weren't necessarily my fault on draft day now there are other ways you can lose your season on waivers trades what have you injuries but you want to start off and give yourself the best chance possible for success on the first day of the season for fantasy which is the day you draft that is everybody's first day of the season is draft day so with that being said i wish everybody luck in their drafts and we will see you again soon thank you very much for listening to fantasy mlb today which is brought to you by sports ethos i'm joe rico See ya.